Well, as we have our time together, I do want to really encourage you, be listening. The Spirit loves to speak, and He loves to move into the places in our life where there is yet to be victory, right? He does. He loves to do that. And whether you find it right here, sometimes in these moments, God just showers down and it, it opens up and uh, we find that victory. But other times, uh, he's feeding us along and there, there's some things, some steps in between. So whatever it is, be listening to what the Spirit of God really wants to communicate to you here in, uh, in these moments uh, this morning. I was surprised this morning when I came to church because my mother was here, and I didn't anticipate to see her, and she says, are you going to be done by 10.15? So if you see some lady get up and leave the service, that's my mother, and, uh, but it also ensures that I'm going to hurry up and get this thing done, so she doesn't want to embarrass herself by leaving in the middle of the message, so uh, it's a great day, uh, and you probably want to get back to it, but, but God has some things for us this morning, and I'm looking forward uh, to our time. You know, we've been in the Gospel of Mark. I know during the summer, sometimes you're in and out a little bit. You have vacations and opportunities to do other things. So you may not have caught kind of all of where we've been at in the Gospel of Mark. But I want to revisit something here. And it's just the purpose uh, of Jesus, uh, the purpose of Jesus. In the early part of Mark, uh, this is what Jesus was doing. He said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. That's what Jesus, he came to bring the kingdom of God, and this is the message that he went about sharing with people. Uh, we're going to look at a little bit of how he did that, but this is what he did. Uh, he went about uh, expressing and helping people grasp and understand uh, the reality. Remember last week we talked about the family dynamics, right? I told you I was on my family reunion, and there's family dynamics when you bring everybody together. Well, there are dynamics to how the kingdom of God works, and we looked at that uh, somewhat through the lens of the parables. You remember uh, the parable of the four soils. And there's an interesting verse uh, back in that, uh, in Mark 4.13, it says this, Jesus said to them, do you not understand this parable? Because they were struggling to understand it. How then will you understand any parable? Right? And so that parable really helps us. It's sort of a starting place of understanding. If Jesus is coming to help us comprehend and grasp the family dynamics in the kingdom of God, that parable of the four soils outlines how do we understand. Remember, we talked about the good soil as those who, who have a searcher's heart, who are really hearing uh, and seeking uh, to listen. And so Jesus is trying to unlock for people the kingdom of God and the dynamics of the family. Well, how does he go about doing that? I want to look for a few minutes before we get into the text today at the learning model of Jesus. How did Jesus teach? Uh, how did he get people to grasp this reality of the kingdom of God through the gospel of Mark? And uh, there's a couple of things that we see that he does. Uh, if you're a teacher, uh, you probably have a teaching philosophy, right? A teaching philosophy. How do you get people uh, to learn, whether it's kids or adults? How do you get people to grasp the reality of what you're trying to communicate? And Jesus had a way of doing that. The first one here, Jesus disrupts the status quo. He disrupts the status quo. Uh, we know he's not doing that just for rebellious sake, like, oh, he's a rebel. You know, sometimes people disrupt things and they're, they're, it's more out of a, a spite nature. Uh, Jesus isn't out of a spite nature, but he is disrupting the status quo. Remember, we looked at that one part of the parable, the measure you measure with will be measured to you. The idea of how judging, when we're in a position of judging, what does that shut down? 
it shuts down our capacity to receive and to learn from something. So if Jay tells me something, but I don't like Jay, all of a sudden, I don't hear anything Jay has to say to me, right? Uh, And so that idea of judging, well, Jesus disrupts the status quo. What happens when the status quo in our life is disrupted? It can do one of two things. Sometimes we judge the experience, and one of the people we often judge is God. Right? We judge God for why we're in this experience. Why did this happen? Well, where does that put us in relation to receiving something from God? Well, all of a sudden we're judging God, and now we can't receive or connect uh, with God. But the other thing that difficulties or trials do is they move us into a place where we're disoriented. But when we're disoriented, guess what starts happening? We start searching, don't we? We've lost our bearings a little bit. Jesus upsets the status quo. And then we're like, wait a minute. And all of a sudden, now in our hearts, we're, we're starting to search. And we're on uh, a bit of a journey. Uh, Jesus did that kind of thing, disrupting the status quo by healing on the Sabbath, forgiving sins, right? There's a whole, a whole lot of things that he did that upset kind of the status quo. And that happens in our life. And when that happens, though, it does put us in a place where we can begin to hear differently, uh, see differently, and receive differently. And that's a part of the learning, uh, the learning model of Jesus. Uh, but not only does he disrupt the status quo, Jesus, uh, as we talked about, he teaches in parables. And parables uh, uniquely force people to ponder the intersection of the kingdom of God and their own hearts. That's the design and the purpose of a parable. So Jesus didn't just give answers, right? He spoke in ways that forced people to kind of scratch their head, go and search inside of themselves and say, like, wait, what? What, what did he just say? And people, it encourages people to go on a spiritual journey. I came across this quote as I was doing some study uh, from the uh, NIV application uh, commentary, and I thought, this is a fantastic way to understand a bit of how Jesus uh, helps us grasp the kingdom of God. He says this about parables, elements that are odd, fantastic, extravagant, and offensive are crucial to parables that aim at shattering the comfortable world where everything has its place, right? Because a lot of times when everything has its place, we're not learning, we're not growing, we're just going along because everything is comfortable. The parables were not invented to convey points or to express propositions, but to precipitate internal action, forcing the hearer or the reader to a crisis or collision that requires movement. What's the learning model of Jesus as he's trying to get us, maybe in those places even where we don't yet have victory, to to move? Well, the status quo gets disrupted and he uniquely speaks in ways that push us to be in a searching place. And as we move into today's text, um, we're going to see that Jesus... uh, He does that even with the text that we're going to look at. Uh, In the text that we're going to look at this morning, the third part of Jesus' teaching model uh, is exemplified, and that's he demonstrates the kingdom of God through everyday life, right? So he's discussing it through, through parables, and then in a lot of ways, he gives a parabolic experience. 
to highlight and to bring home the reality of what he's talking about. So they're processing the dynamics and the ways that God works and moves, and then they're encountering um, that reality. Uh, The doctrine that we believe in the deepest part of our soul is what gets revealed to us through the circumstances of our life. Did you know that? The doctrine that we really believe in the depth of our soul is what gets revealed to us through the circumstances of our life. The innate way in which you respond to things is not the doctrine that we know to be true of the Bible, right? Which is why Jesus doesn't just stick with the parables. He's teaching about the kingdom, but he's conjoining it. He's giving them experiences that bring it all home. And that's what gets lodged uh, deep uh, within us. What we believe about God um, and gets cemented in there, it happens when people that we love are in tough circumstances. It happens when we uh, lose a job. It happens when uh, the status quo is disrupted. And that's where God wants to come to us because that's when we're really going to form our doctrine about who God uh, really is. Uh, If we have all the food in the world, but our bodies won't digest it, we'll get no nourishment. And the kingdom must be digested through experiences. It must be digested through experiences. Uh, The Greek way of learning was through intellect. That's how you came to truth, was through uh, intellect. But in the Jesus' way and the way of uh, the Hebrew scriptures, people came to know through encounter. God, the most important thing about God's people was what? The presence of God through uh, encounter. And uh, so Jesus isn't just content telling parables and teaching. He wants to give people uh, experiences that bring Uh, the reality of those things uh, to the surface. And that's exactly where we go next uh, in the Gospel of Mark. So if you would turn uh, in your Bible to uh, Mark chapter 4, it's the last section of Mark chapter 4. And Jesus moves from these parables into giving these uh, experiences. This passage here in Mark is kicking off uh, a section of uh, ways in which the disciples and others are going to encounter who Jesus really is. So let's read in Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35. That day when Jesus, uh, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. The other side of where? To the Sea uh, of Galilee. And so they're going to cross over in the boat. Remember, Jesus was in the boat doing his teaching. And so then they're going to go on uh, to the other side, um, Uh, of the sea. The Sea of Galilee is about six times uh, larger than Lake Erie, just to give you uh, an idea. Uh, So let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. I love that. Mark keeps putting in these little tidbits that it's not just the 12. It's not just the special people that get to be around Jesus. So there were others uh, that were there that were experiencing all of this. Verse 37, as they're going across, a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat 
so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. Really, it was like a sandbag uh, that was, he was sleeping on. Uh, the disciples woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up and rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Well, this is quite uh, an experience, isn't it? I love here that it says, you know, who's running the show when it comes to Jesus and the disciples? Who's leading that whole thing, right? Jesus is leading that whole thing. He's teaching, right? But the text says um, that, uh, he says, let us go over to the other side, leaving the crowd behind. They took him along. It's like, wait a minute. They took him along. And it's almost as if there's, you know, Jesus is doing the teaching about the kingdom. They're as lost as everybody else. And finally, they have an area of expertise. They're like, okay, we know boating. We know fishing. We know this kind of thing. So they take Jesus along. And sure enough, that's where Jesus disrupts the status quo, is in the place where they have the most experience. And uh, it's, it's a pretty profound uh, story, this, this furious squall that rose up. I don't know if you've ever heard of a white squall. Uh, a lot of times that happens on freshwater lakes where there's a surge of wind that just, it kind of picks up out of nowhere. And sometimes that happens associated with a storm where you actually see clouds and all that, where there's a thing called a white squall where there's no indication that this thing is going to come up out of nowhere. There's, the clouds aren't rolling in, the darkness isn't rolling in. It's just this windstorm that surges. And the Sea of Galilee is something like 700 feet below sea level. So when you have these pressure dips and all of that, you can end up with these crazy kind of storms. And of course, we know the, the, some of the disciples, they're fishermen. They would have experienced storms at sea and that kind of thing. And they're terrified because out of nowhere, this, this storm uh, rises up and the, the waves start to come over the boat and they wake Jesus up. Uh, and, you know, they, we're going to look at his, uh, you know, what they say to Jesus and their response and try to learn a little bit uh, from this, this whole thing. And it's great. Jesus says, quiet, be still. He says, quiet to the wind and to the waves. He says, be still. And uh, I want to ask, as we kind of go through this, a few questions of the text to try to help us kind of receive uh, from this experience. You know, one of the ways we can learn is gleaning from uh, other people's experience. And this is a parabolic experience. It's designed, we're supposed to learn through uh, the experience of the disciples here. Well, just to reiterate, where does this event fit in the teaching model of Jesus? Where does this event fit in the teaching model of Jesus? Well, the status quo just got upset um, and the reality of their hearts just got exposed, didn't it? I mean, that's what happened here in this moment. Kind of what they really believe came to the surface and was exposed by uh, this experience. And as we looked at, if you remember from last week, the kingdom reveals and exposes, doesn't it? When you're around the kingdom of God, that is incessantly going to happen to you. The things of your heart and the things of the kingdom of God, they're going to continually be uh, revealed and exposed through our circumstances. But that's really how faith grows. 
that's really how faith develops is when things are exposed and we see what are, what's really going on inside of us. There's, there's no other way. There's no other way. Where does this... Um, oh, uh, what do we learn about our own experiences in crisis by the response of the disciples in theirs? The disciples have a certain kind of response to this situation that's going on. What do we learn when, about our own responses uh, when we find ourselves in crisis? That's why I wanted you. Where do you need victory right now? Where is there yet to be a victory? That's often a place where there's a crisis or things are kind of unsettled in our own life. What is the response of the disciples? There are some deep human struggles that are revealed in the disciples' response. Uh, it says uh, in the text, um, uh, he got up and he... Re- Can you go back one? Are we out of order here? Uh, yeah, what do we learn about our own response in crisis by the response of the disciples and theirs? The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drowned? Don't you care if we drown? You can feel when we're in our own crisis, some of the things in our own hearts surfacing there. Uh, the deepest struggles uh, of humans in crisis, uh, first of all, uh, we're going to get to this part, but Jesus is asleep right? And sometimes when we face whatever needs victory, isn't that a question that, that is in the deepest part of our heart? God, are you asleep? Or maybe, maybe things are on auto, autopilot, right? Isn't that one of the things that kind of starts caving in? God is on autopilot or he's, he's asleep on the job. And then comes this question, uh, and it's more of a reaction because this isn't like premeditated kind of stuff. This like this hit and it just, it just flew out of them. And that's how you find out what's really in you. But they ask this question, do, don't you care? Don't you care? And when we're facing those difficulties and trials, isn't that a, God, don't, don't you care what's going on? Don't you, don't you see? Don't you get it? And in the core of our heart, a lot of times, that's what we're asking. Don't you care? It literally means, uh, is this of no concern? Is this of any concern to you? I, you know, you don't know, is this an accusation uh, or, or a, que- a request to get them to do something? Don't you care? But we see our own humanness in that, don't we? At the core of it, it's a lot of times what's there. And the other part of the don't you care is we're going to die. That's what they really felt. We're not going to make it through this. We can't see a way through this. And again, isn't that our human response when we're facing something? We don't see how this is going to work out. One of the first people I chatted with this morning, they were telling me of a, to- of a situation going on right now. And it's sort of like, okay. Uh, how's this going to get worked out? Don't you care? We're, we're going to die. We can't see a way through it. And um, one of the other parts of this human uh, dynamic that I think we experience when, we're, uh, when the status quo is disrupted is, um, aren't you going to do something about this? 
Aren't you going to do something about this? We're going to talk about that a little bit more when we get to looking at Jesus's response. But when the status quo gets disrupted in our own life, that's when we find out what we really believe. And the reality is it's okay, whatever comes out of you in that moment, because that's how faith is built. I thought about it. The disciples spent three full-time years with Jesus. How many of these kinds of moments did they encounter? Tons, right? Again and again and again and again and again and again, day in and day out, hour after, like all of these things. And, um, you know, it takes us a while for true faith uh, to be built in us. And um, so I think we need to embrace that human part of the development of, uh, of our faith journeys. Well, what do we learn about Jesus's personal response to this crisis? Jesus's response, so he, you know, the, the, the storm wells up and he is, uh, it says he was in the stern sleeping uh, on a cushion, on a little sandbag that was in there. And that's Jesus's response. And it's this picture of really this ultimate trust. He's so at peace that his life is in the hands of the Father that he can rest even in the midst of this crisis moment that is going on. And of course, these are contrasts, the disciples' response and Jesus' response. Uh, I think about Jesus asleep in the boat, and I I remember this experience. This is how I know my dad's in heaven. He slept like Jesus slept. Uh, I came over to my dad's uh, house, and he had this really old, like, 50-year-old kind of refrigerator that still worked in the basement. Well, if you remember those refrigerators, they were terribly heavy. And a friend, of they wanted it out. So a buddy of mine and I, we went over there. I got my dad's dolly, which is an all, it's a steel, uh, a steel dolly. And the tires were hard rubber, not like soft rubber. So we go down, so I come in, the, we come in, I let myself in, and my dad is sleeping in the family room. So he's, he's asleep, just laying there on the ground. So, I, you know, like, oh, should we wake him up? I'm like, no, he'll hear us, right? He'll hear us. So we get the dolly, clank, 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 all the way down every step, get the refrigerator on the dolly. And I mean, this is the heaviest thing. So every, like, I'm at the bottom pushing, my buddy's at the top pulling, and every time this thing slams into the next step, and it is a full, slight, a full flight of stairs. So bam, bam, probably 12, 14 times all the way up and then up another half flight of stairs, and then out the door, and then down the steps out the door, and this whole, this whole thing goes, and guess what? He never woke up. <laughs> we left, and still, he had never woken up. So my, I think, okay, uh, my dad sleeps like Jesus. And, um, but that's, Jesus was asleep. Uh, how, you don't end up with that kind of trust, without some kind of something happening, right? What happened in the life of Jesus that enabled him in this moment to have that kind of confidence in the Father, right? There were some tangible things that happened in the life of Jesus. Do you remember in the early part of Mark and the other gospels also record it, but the Spirit of God sent Jesus where? Out into the desert to be what? Tested. Jesus was sifted out there. But there were some things as he was being sifted that he gained tremendous confidence in. 
And so that he could have in these kinds of moments, he could sleep like a baby in the midst of this furious storm. But he was sifted and tested, and that's where his confidence built. He learned a couple of things out there in the desert. Uh, He learned that only what the Father allows can be done. Only what the Father allows could even happen to him. Right? Because Satan was there testing him for 40 days and 40 nights. And this whole thing is playing out. And he learned only what the Father allows. Only what the Father allows. And so then he ends up in this circumstance. Only what the Father allows. Right? And we know later on in the story, the Father's going to allow him to die. So there's not always a rescue but only what the Father allows. The other thing I think Jesus learned out there in the desert when he was being tested is that the Spirit can sustain us through all things. The Spirit can sustain him. That's who sustained him, right? The Spirit took him out there. Uh, The Spirit sustained him out there. And the Spirit can sustain us. And so when he ends up in this moment, guess what? All of a sudden, he is sustained What do we learn about Jesus' response? Oh, absolute trust uh, in God. What do we learn from Jesus' response to the crisis? And I don't have an answer for this one. I'm just posing a question to you. Uh, as this crisis is unfolding, it says, He got up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Be uh, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. So, I wrestle here with the action and the inaction of God. The action and inaction of God. Here they are, and they cry out, they go wake Jesus up, and he does something, right? Does he always do something? So sometimes the learning of Jesus is he lets the situation play out, and other times he intervenes. And when you're in a place of crisis, we're like, God, why aren't you working? Why aren't you doing something? And I, I don't know if I have a, a terribly great answer for you. Uh, I'm more raising the question because I think it's something we wrestle with. The action of God and the inaction of God. You know, they are rescued from this moment. Now, I don't know if it had played out, would they have died? Uh, probably not because the Father, right? They're still in the Father's hands. And so there was still yet work for them to be done. And so probably not. Probably not, right? But what about like Stephen, you know, who he was stoned, you know? And you're like, wait a minute, he's got some killer ministry left to do. And we have moments where God moves. And then there's moments where he seems inactive. And there's a wrestle there in our faith. Uh, But when we come to faith kind of like Jesus had, uh, and we've come to realize you know what? Nothing can happen to me outside of the Father's watch. He, he's in control of that. And then the Spirit can sustain me through all things. Then sometimes God acts and we praise Him, and other times we walk through the trial and we praise Him. What do we learn from Jesus' response to the disciples after the event? Uh, it gets interesting here. He says to the disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Right? So he's, he's bringing in uh, this, uh, this faith question. 
Do you still have no faith? I think for us, we've, we've so equated faith with a, a set of doctrinal beliefs. Jesus isn't saying, do you believe I'm the son of God? And those kinds of things. It's not a, a doctrinal thing. It's a, have you come to the place where you know, like I'm in the father's hands, which means if you're with me, we are in the father's hands. It's interesting. Jesus, we worship Jesus, right? Right? And it's fitting to do that. But Jesus really, through his time on earth, he was saying, come follow me. Was he demanding people to worship him? He really didn't. He said, come follow me way more than he said, come worship me. Now that happens after, and we certainly worship him. Uh, I heard uh, a teacher pose this question. It's a lot easier to worship someone than to follow them. And it really struck me because when you worship somebody, then, oh, he's so much better. He's so much higher, all of that, right? But Jesus really came to teach us how to walk and how to live in the kingdom of God. And um, uh, that's what Jesus is at. Say, haven't, you, haven't you seen from what's already happened that we're in the hands of the Father and that the Spirit will, will meet us? As I was preparing this, the Lord really spoke something in particular to me, and it's really to those who have really had profound moments with God, those who have had deep experiences with the presence of God. And I just heard the Lord say, encourage the church for those who've really profoundly experienced God, walk and live out that faith. Have courage to step out and and live off of that, because What he's done is what has built your faith. So live like it. Live like it. And sometimes those deep moments, we question those deep moments that God has really infused the reality of who he is. We think, I don't know if people will believe this. I don't know. Was that real? Was that not real? I just live like it. It is real. It is real. Your moments with him have allowed you to encounter the living presence of who he is. And that can enable you to sleep on a cushion in a boat. Do it. That's why he's done those things. Well, what do we learn from the disciples' response to seeing Jesus' abject power over nature? This, this amazing moment. Uh, it says, they were terrified and they asked each other, who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. That word terrified there, sometimes it means something good. Sometimes it means something not so good. The, the kind of fear and awe and wonder, the, the mystical, like your mind is blown, that sort of thing, that's on the, the good side. Well, the word here, terrified, is sort of on the not so good side. Uh, and it's more on, on that negative of... Um, of, of cowardice and not believing. And so they were, they were terrified. And it's just another word that goes back to Jesus saying, you know, do you still not have faith yet? And uh, uh, in this moment, they say, who is this? Even the winds and waves obey him. Uh, this passage kicks off what's coming in the next couple of weeks. These powerful moments where we see the kingdom of God displayed through Jesus. And here we see the, the massive power of, of the kingdom of God over nature. We're going to see that uh, over a legion of demons, over death in the uh, next part of Mark, in Mark chapter 5. But the reality of if you go back to how Jesus wants 
teaches and his learning model, right? He's speaking about the family dynamics of the kingdom of God. And here he's starting to give them these parabolic experiences of the reality of what he's talking about. Because faith is built by collecting firsthand experiences. That's how it's nurtured and affirmed and confirmed in our heart. And even though those firsthand experiences sometimes rock us, don't they? And we see all kinds of things in us. It's okay. I've realized that's okay because now we're having an encounter, right? And Jesus is piling on these moments and encounters. And that's what he's going to do with you through the places where you need victory. That's where he wants to show you uh, who he is. And so as uh, we close today, uh, and Pastor Jim and the worship team come back up. I want to give you just a moment. And in the stillness, uh, let the Holy Spirit move upon your heart. Follow him where he guides you in these moments. How does the Holy Spirit want to say something to you personally? Right now in the midst of where you need to hear him most. So move away from my words and all of that. Take a moment. What is the Holy Spirit want to say to you in the midst of where you are right now. So take a moment and do that. Lord, thank you for meeting us here. Thank you that your spirit speaks individually to each one of us in the moments where we need to see you work a victory and show who you are. And so I just pray for each one of you that you would encounter the way of the kingdom the movement of his kingdom in that place in your life where you need it. That your faith would be built. It's not something you instantly have when you say, I believe in Jesus. He gives you moments that make it all real. And so may he unfold that for you now and in the days ahead. Would you stand as we just continue to let the Spirit of God just do His gentle work in our lives?